you go into your shower feeling tired. But as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. I'm late. I'm late. For a very important date. Time is running out to score adult theme park tickets at child prices from Undercover Tourist. This summer, make your Walt Disney World vacation more affordable than ever. Escape into a place where magic has the power to transport you into stunning worlds and your favorite stories for less. Buy from Undercover Tourist, an authorized seller, and link to official Walt Disney World apps so you can add on Genie Plus and Lightning Lane upgrades easy. Book your adult theme park tickets at child prices with Undercover Tourist now and save. UndercoverTourist.com the Around the NFL podcast is still waiting to find out about Latvia. Welcome to another edition of the Around the NFL podcast. My name is Dan Hansis. I come to you from a virtual room filled with heroes. Mark Sessler, Chris Wessling, Greg Rosenthal. What is up, boys? Hey, Dan. Sometimes I try to figure out what the money tag is, but then I figure there's more important things to talk about. So you just leave it. You take the L personally <laughs> and you get onto the business at hand, which is week three, Sunday in the NFL. And isn't it strange, boys? When you take the Ravens and Chiefs out of the mix, they play, of course, on Monday night. Mm-hmm. Big spot for Brian Greasy there. Ooh, doggy. <laughs> Doesn't it how wide open the league feels through three Sundays? When you take those juggernauts out, like, I mean, there are some truly wretched teams, but even the three and O teams, you could definitely yeah, make cases against those teams for various reasons. And then everybody else is kind of fighting it out. Uh, this seems like uh, in what's been a weird year, we could have a, a wild season heading well, our way. Yeah, it's quite, it's got like, you know, mom and dad went away for the weekend. And, you know, the teenage sons and daughters think that they are full-fledged adults ready to, you know, flex their muscles and show their wares. But um, mommy and daddy will return. That's all I'd tell you. That's all I'd say. Who's mommy and who's daddy? I guess we'll find out. We'll find out tomorrow. I mean, it also also depends what kind of relationship that is. I mean, in some cases. Also, who's stronger? Yeah. Who's to say one is the one, the victor is this person and, you know. Right. This, you attempted just, to, but we got we got you out of that corner. I just the, steered you know. right out of there. That yeah. was. <laughs> um, it's interesting because last week at this time, I would have said there are clearly some dominant teams running away with things, and and the difference between the good teams and the bad teams is even more stark this mm-hmm. year than normal. One well, week can change a lot. Well, but the games all look so similar. I think that that to me is what's striking that the, every game is in the thirties. That you know. Th- Two guys throwing for over 400 yards feels totally normal. No lead feels safe. The, the lack of 
uh, penalties, and the amount of scoring is all historic. And so that 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 is what is striking. The NFL cooked up a whole new uh, sport here. This penalty thing like is it. interesting uh, because it reminds me of last season when baseball they juiced the baseballs and they're like, oh yeah, yeah we're just going to completely change the sport by there being an uptick of home runs by about thirty to forty percent. If they really are serious about lowering the level of penalties calls, that that is juicing the ball. That's juicing the offenses. They've been doing that for, you know, 40 years. I mean, that's every rule change is geared towards offense. And actually, the penalties now Stop. just kind of brings it back to about 15, 20 years ago. Greg, penalties don't hit me with a, it's not a big deal. Wes, jump in. Of course, it's a big right. deal. I mean, obviously, are, Greg are missed back. the entire Jeff Triplett era in which he wasn't happy unless 73 <laughs> penalties were called. This sport had reached a point where it wasn't even football anymore. It's hard right. to watch because you couldn't get any rhythm into a game. Too many penalties. Right. Wes and I are agreeing here. They're just bringing it back to about, you know, year 2000 level of penalties. Uh, so it's not like breaking records. They're just bringing it back. Penalties had risen and risen and risen and risen and you know, dial it back. No one, right. no one cares Sometimes about those Sometimes you have zebras. to tell the coaches to chill. See, These coaches that, that, get in the competition the committee host- and they're like, we want you to concentrate on this this year. You know, call this all the time. And it's like, hey, no, no. How about we think about the fans for once? The host starts the show and gets everybody out. nice and lubed up. So everybody's warmed up to get into the games right now. Everybody's <laughs> all it. hot and bothered. All let's right. Go. So, a lot of games to get to. So let's dig right in, starting with a really memorable showdown between undefeated teams in Orchard Park. Josh waiting. Now the snap. Josh going to throw it. Looks, looks, fires into the end zone. He's got Tyler Croft open. Touchdown! Touchdown! Touchdown, Buffalo! Touchdown, Bills! A four-yard toss. Josh Allen to Tyler Croft for the touchdown. 15 seconds left on the clock. Are you kidding me? (laughs) John Murphy and Steve Tasker with the call for WGR. The Bills blew a 25-point lead on Sunday and lived to tell the tale. The Bills happily received the gift of a questionable P.I. call on fourth down, then won the game on a Josh Allen to Tyler Croft hookup with 15 seconds to play. Final score, 35-32. Wow, Greg, the Rams came this close to a comeback for the ages, only to let victory slip away. They, they left too much time on the clock. You know, when you come back from 28-3, you got to time that final touchdown just to go to overtime and then win the coin flip, which is probably the only way uh, the Rams' defense uh, was going to get a stop in a big moment here because Josh Allen did it all in this game in terms of the roller coaster, the, the whole experience. They had nine possessions, and they, and they scored five touchdowns. So I don't want to hear anything about the Bills offense being in any way a letdown. Now he helped set up the comeback uh, with a couple of turnovers, one of which came on a a very questionable uh, call, but was also a terrible throw by Allen. So, you know, he was at some fall. Aaron Donald took over the game as Aaron Donald does. But my big takeaway is that the Bills are an offensive team. You want to get on part of their team uh, for blowing the lead, get on the defense. I look at them more as a team that's going to make mistakes offensively, as we saw here and there, but that had two third and 23 situations with the game on the line, and they wound up converting them both. They got one into a fourth and nine. They got that questionable call, as you mentioned, Dan, and and if they didn't get it, we'd, we'd be talking about how they blew this game, but I still... 
as a global view, take a look at this Bills team and think this offense is really dangerous. And Allen's going to have some ups and downs, but the conversion that they've had into an offense that can score over 30 regularly is massive. And they are going to be a tough team to beat when that's the case. Well, one thing that stuck out to me was the, the uproar over the the uh, controversial call at the end of the game. And to be honest, I, I caught a lot of this game the only reason the Rams were in the game was because of a bad call in their favor in which there was a simultaneous possession interception, which was clearly caught by the offensive player. And then once they hit the ground, was wrestled out of his hands by the defensive player. It was a horrible call, and they tried to defend it afterwards, Al Riveron did. And it didn't make any sense when he tried to defend it either. Uh, he's a terrible throw, though, too. And they gave up four touchdowns in four possessions very quickly. Uh, so I, I think it's giving the Rams a little too little credit, saying that's the only reason. It was definitely a turning point, but it was a bad decision by Allen. And more, more to the point, the Rams' offense started cooking uh, in the third and fourth quarters. I, I hated that call. It's funny. We just started the show talking about how the referees are keeping the flags in their pockets. That, to me, at the end of the game there, and I, I know Al Riveron got behind his boy there, uh, but that seemed very ticky-tack with the game on the line to call that but you know what that happens uh, ultimately I think if you're the Rams yeah you're smarting from that call but also there are two third and forevers that they had right uh the Bills make a on. stop and all you got to do is make a stop and that was you know um uh, that was two opportunities they had and they and they let it go by the boards and that is a credit to Allen I didn't get a chance to see this game yet so I can't really say too much about it other than uh his ability to just move this team up and down the field for three straight weeks. He has passed for 300-plus yards uh, in three straight weeks, and they are averaging, I believe, 430 yards, uh, total yards per game, and 31 points per game through three weeks, which is obviously franchise records across the board. There's something special happening with this offense. I I just find it so interesting that, like, Allen continues to be, I mean, for basic reasons, an extremely polarizing signal caller, but... I mean, the idea that his production, that what he's producing weekly is not completely legitimate, that this offense isn't built um, really well by Brandon Bean, their GM. I mean, Cole Beasley is making plays every week. John Brown, uh, Stefan Diggs. I, you know, Zach Moss was not in the lineup today, but you've got a solid backfield there. Tyler Croft. I just think that this Bills team is well-run and well-organized. And, I mean, the Rams were down 21-3 and had not punted. They had kicked a field goal, thrown a pick, kicked another field goal, then it was the end of the half. And it's like, it wasn't just that the Rams were, you know, to Greg's point, it wasn't a Bills defensive um, dominance, but I just think this Bills offense is for real. And I I, uh, let the doubters doubt. What happened on defense? Let them doubt. What happened, well, Greg? What happened when it was 28-3 and then all of a sudden 32-28? I mean, Goff made some great plays on third and long. Neither defense looked great the whole game. I thought the difference in the first half was Goff threw a really bad pick um, and the the Rams missed the field goal, whereas the Bills had unbelievable field position the whole game uh, because of their kicking game, because of their return game, and because of the turnover. And Dable, to your point, Mark, I mean, guys were wide open and Allen made some tough throws, too, but there was also just guys streaking up in the field, and that's without John Brown for most of this game. John Brown left with an injury, and, and I'd yeah. be remiss not to say that Stefan Diggs, I mean, has been th- such a transformative pickup. And you look at the stat line, and I don't think it ended up 
you know, too flashy for Diggs. It was four for 49 and a touchdown. Well, his touchdown, he beat Jalen Ramsey one-on-one, um, and that was one of the best plays that Allen made on a third and long uh, under pressure in the red zone. And another touch pass that Allen threw on, on a key drive late in the game, Diggs just made an unbelievable catch on the sideline to keep it going. So when things were falling apart, and at no point did the Bills' defense um, look great. Uh, they, they really haven't this year at all. They, they've been pretty mediocre, and um, you know they would have they would have had the goat horns here if they lost, but but they didn't. I mean, every, this game had everything with Allen, though. I mean, he also had two penalties in the fourth quarter: one for yelling at the official because he didn't know the rule book in terms of you can't have a horse collar in the in the pocket, and then another one uh, for a face mask. I mean, this is your if if you were going to bet on a quarterback to have a face mask penalty, it's Josh Allen. I mean, he he is young Cam Newton, especially in the red zone. They were five for five in the red zone, and that's to me that the thing that sustainable is that the Bills team is so tough to stop in the red zone and the Rams will be okay Uh, they're going to be fine here Uh, but when you come back from 28-3 down take the lead then lose that's a tough loss that's a tough Mm -hmm. one if he if he really has learned how to touch pass and to me that's by far the biggest difference this year in last year's he's ahead of Cam Newton's development Cam right. Newton wasn't throwing these touch passes in year three. He, he didn't have the frankly, rookie or, the, or second year that, that Cam Newton had, but certain, certainly right now he is playing great. I like it, Wes. And there are things Josh Allen can do on a football field that Cam Newton's never been able to do. Mm. Uh, he, Greg on the ropes. Rosenthal on the ropes. <laughs> Let's move on. Hey, people are allowed to change their minds. Metcalf and Lockett to the left side. Again, a four-man rush. Russell looks, sets, has time. Going to throw to the end zone. What? It's DK. He makes the catch. Touchdown, Seahawks. I couldn't see him for a second, and suddenly he flashes in the end zone, and it's DK Metcalf, and he, in fact, makes up for the play earlier. And it's only fitting, isn't it, that he's the guy who comes up with the big reception, the touchdown with 147 left to play. You knew that was going to happen. Metcalf makes one of those bonehead plays that happens every couple of years. Catching the bomb and then not paying attention and getting the ball knocked out for a touchback. It happened to him. But you just knew he was going to score and probably score in a big fashion down down the stretch of that game. And that's exactly what happened. Russell Wilson's fifth touchdown pass to Metcalf put the Seahawks ahead late. And then Ryan Neal, promoted from the practice squad, uh, had the game-sealing end zone pick. Seahawks 38 Cowboys 31 shootout at the clink. Uh, Steve Raley and Dave Wyman with a call for K-I-R-O. This game certainly lived up to the hype. Uh, Two teams with great offenses and great quarterbacks and suspect defenses. And it played out exactly that way where the the defenses could not get big stops. uh, And every time it seemed like the, the Cowboys were about to get blown out. No. Because Dak Prescott is kind of like playing out of his mind, uh, throwing for 400 yards every game. Although it should be said, and it was rightly pointed out by uh, Troy Aikman on the Fox call, the interception that ended the game, it shouldn't have played out that way. That was not fourth down in desperation, heave it up into the end zone. That was live for one more down if, if, if it's not there. But you know what? That's the way it went. Uh, so the Cowboys now one and two and the Seahawks who are the most entertaining team in football through three weeks, are 3-0. and 
Well, they're entertaining partly because their defense can't stop anyone. They they had given up the most yards in the league going into today, and then they give up 500 yards in this game, and they lost Jamal Adams during the game. And so they're going to have to cook up a pass rush. It's just fascinating to see a Seahawks team, you know, so pass-heavy and so offense-heavy. I mean, it's it's obviously got the be- the opportunity to have the best offense in the Russell Wilson era. Um, their offensive line's playing really well too, but it's just it's just disarming. And I do wonder if there's going to be a correction at some point for a lot of these teams, the Bills, Seahawks, Cowboys, where you know the defenses do get better as the course of the season goes on. Because the Seahawks probably they need it that way. I don't think they want to play this way every single week. Might be hard to correct. I saw Chris Carson went down late in the game, looked like a pretty bad knee injury. Mm. Um, so that option to to saddle him up like they have in previous years might not be there. And you see such a difference in philosophy that last touchdown to DK Metcalf is third and short in a really right. tight game, and they're going 30 or 40 yards downfield. And I think Russell Wilson might be the most consistently accurate deep passer I've ever seen. Yep. He's just always right on the money from 20 to 40, 50 yards downfield. It's always right where it needs to be. And and they're talking about let Russ cook, and he's cooking for about – 650 people at this stage uh, per game. <laughs> but um, same with Dak Prescott. He's the second quarterback in league history to throw for 450 yards in back-to-back games. Mm. And they really are just, uh, you know, you've got Zeke Elliott. You don't have an issue in the backfield. I thought the fact that Dallas um, suffered a safety and two missed extra points changed that game a little bit down the stretch, that they little mistakes like that in a game like this um, – our killer, the Cowboys now backs against the wall, one and two. Well, you say that, but I think that are they in first place? In yeah, division? well, I in mean, a terrible tied. division. That, but the they, larger picture is they have who so are much you? time to get things right because the NFC East has been so bad, and it's we're going to get to it um, later in the show. So while you certainly there's every reason to be very concerned about this defense, which doesn't have Leighton Vander Esch, and did get a nice game from Alden Smith, who was very active. I think he had three sacks, in fact, which is pretty incredible considering uh, the arc of his career. But Overall, the defense stinks. I think that's kind of what we thought was something that was possible, Wes, entering 2020. It's certainly pe- turning out that way. That's that's maybe not as big a concern, or maybe it was. Well, the Seahawks also was a big concern, although they had gotten Jamal Adams, that the defense was going to be a problem. And I guess that's the only thing I would say, like the Seahawks. I think, Mark, I saw you tweeted they're going to win the Super Bowl. Maybe they will. Maybe this is a magical season and Russell Wilson is that guy. But they need to figure out some things. Uh, on the other side of the ball, luckily they have a lot of time to do it. What, one note that I, I I will find a way to tweet that about twenty five different teams, Smart. and then retweet <laughs> when I nail one of it. You know, I'll, I'll get one of them correct, and that's we that's know your strategy. playbook, Sessler. That's no need to explain. You know, <laughs> I saw a tweet that Greg pointed toward a, an article by uh, I think Bob Stern from the Athletic, where he was saying. The best defensive lineman for the Cowboys is Tristan Hill, who barely got on the field as a rookie last year. Their best linebacker is Joe Thomas, who's an undrafted journeyman. Oof. Their best, their best secondary guy is is Trayvon Diggs, who's a rookie. And struggled like, today. Like this defense just has nothing that you think it I would mean, have. Those Tyler, but, those Tyler Lockett touchdowns. It was like a pitch and catch. It was like there was nobody else on the field between Wilson and Lockett. It, it shouldn't be that easy. 
Well, there there was a big change. You know, they they brought in a coordinator, and Mike Nolan has been out of the league for a few years. Um, they've been in the same scheme under Rod Marinelli in some form um, for how long that was? Seven, eight, nine years. And I I don't know if these players uh, quite fit where they're at. I I'm impressed though. I mean, Tyron Smith didn't play in this game. That's maybe a future Hall of Famer. Lyle Collins is maybe the best right. You know, the Cowboys believe he's a top five right tackle. They're playing without their two tackles and they're putting up points like this. They're, they're a little lucky they got that onside kick or else they'd be 0-3. Um, but it's pretty encouraging to put up this many points without either of their starting tackles. I would say one thing, if you're Alden Smith, it's like that would be essentially like one of us leaving sports writing for half a decade, returning, and in the first blog post that you publish wins a Pulitzer Prize. They have blogs still. Well, I'm just saying if that I don't know what the I don't know what the equivalent is. It's just that it's like he's vanished for half a decade. He returns. He looks like the best defensive player on the field. I again, it, there's all these human arguments to take more time off away from work and toil. Yeah. Um, oh, that's that where you're going. In, well, with I just this. I believe. In I was going to say I'll let I'll let others paint Alden Smith as a feel good comeback story. That's someone else's profile to write, but I see oh, a greater point, Mark. Yeah. Uh, that maybe just walking away for five years and then walking back into a, a um, seven-figure paycheck, uh, that is maybe the way to do things ultimately. Food yeah. for thought. Any other thoughts on this game? Doesn't sound like it. Let's keep moving. Edelman on the right wing. Burkhead behind him. Takes the hand off. Runs it left. Burkhead. Nice. Twisted into the end zone with a diving touchdown for the Patriots. Burkhead for the second time today leaves his feet. It adds to the New England lead. Nice job, Rex. That's the healthy Rex Burkhead right there. See, Zolak isn't the same anymore. <laughs> it's like you deflated him. <laughs> Bob Sochi and Scott Zolak with a call for WBZ. Rex Burkhead had two rushing touchdowns and a receiving TD. Part of a 250-yard rushing day for the Pats. 36-20 win over the Raiders. Mark, I didn't see a lot of Cam Newton highlights today, so I guess you can see that as a good thing for the Patriots, that even when Newton doesn't go off, they can still score points. Yeah, I think the Patriots, um, you know, and this is the rare game where you get the matchup between two of the only head coaches around that have been traded. Um, that that was on my radar early, mm. and I enjoyed it. Sell it, baby. Right? And um, <laughs> Belichick, to me, I think they made a nice adjustment in halftime. Cam Newton was kind of struggling in this game. I, I wouldn't call it, like, a, a big problem, but it just the passing game was not what we saw last week against Seattle. And they went into halftime, and I think they came out determined just to run the ball with every single running back they had. J.J. Taylor... You know, who was he four weeks ago? He's running the ball. Sony Michelle, Burkhead with three touchdowns, and they and they were able to succeed that way. And the Raiders to me fell apart offensively down the stretch. I I this is this was just a case of where you can look at a Raiders team and say there's a lot to like. Early on in this game, the Raiders were one of the more intrig- they they were developing into one of the more intriguing teams that I've seen in a while. Wes mm. and I were tweeting about it a little bit. There's a there, this is a potential wild card type talent, um, the the Las Vegas Raiders. But to me, New England is just kind of showed that you're going to hit a wall against this team. New England's defense is just too good, and they you know it's interesting that we talked about Bill, Bill Belichick talking about Darren Waller during the week, and that's usually the death knell mm-hmm. for that player. And Darren Waller, I think, finished with two catches for for nine yards and had really nothing going into the. Uh, 
Um, what I think is Las Vegas' best weapon, along with Josh Jacobs, who had a all right serviceable, serviceable game, but not um, a difference maker. And it was a classic um, in an empty, totally empty. No stadium looks more empty to me than Foxborough. It's, it has to do with the, the camera shots, I think, too. But it just looks empty mm. and desolate. And New England um, made the Raiders look empty by the end of this game. Yeah, I, I called that one on Thursday show. The Darren Waller, the kiss of death was the quote. Right. <laughs> when Belichick went out of his way to to paint him as a generational type talent, you knew he was going to like quadruple team him from the first half, <laughs> and he'd finish with about nine yards, which is exactly what happened. Getting that Tony Gonzalez coverage, I'd be worried about the Raiders' defense in this one. Sony Michelle couldn't make anyone miss last week, and now he gets thirteen yards a carry in this game. That's eye opening. First big plays he's made uh, since the Super Bowl. You know they 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 find different ways to win games and you can hear Cam Newton in the in the post game press conference just being like so impressed I think they're just like it's a nice change of pace for him how like everyone else is doing things too uh because you know, look they had Joe Tooney start at center I don't think right. he's ever played center right. before at the pro level he's their franchise tag I mean they have one of the best centers in the league who's now on IR that happened since we last talked and uh Joe Tooney just moves to center everything's fine you know they they run the ball uh, so well, Chase Winovich has turned into a really good player for them. I don't think it's a great sign that he's by far the best player in their front seven. I mean, it, it's one of their worst uh, defensive front sevens, I would say, you know, of the Belichick era. But uh, but they still find ways to make Carr make mistakes, and those two fumbles that that Carr had seem to be Mark kind of the, the yeah. The I, I see a little moment. concern, and you know, Greg, you pointed it out to the skill position, um, depleted skill position talent for New England. They didn't have a wide receiver with more than 28 yards at half. And, like, they just don't have that guy they can go to. And that's why you're leaning on suddenly Rex Burkhead, who played probably the best game he'll ever play in the NFL today. But how can you count on that week to week? I mean, they Hmm. they found a way to do it. Um, The Raiders, to me, outside of Max Crosby, just don't have a whole lot going on on defense. And, uh, you know, is typical New England sort of, they choked the life out of of Las Vegas. I would be concerned if they have to go up against the Kansas Cities and the Baltimores, though. Give me well, they're playing Kansas we'll City see. next week, so that that's a tough spot for them. Um, John Gruden, by the way, you uh, basically got on the plane when he kicked a field goal down thirteen points on the seven yard line on fourth and five late in the game when their defense was not making any stops to cut it from 13 to 10. I mean, that was, they have like, what? what is that index? There's a Twitter account, like the the gutless index. I don't even know what it was. That's Too many the most gutless decision. That's the most gutless decision I've seen by a coach, at least in week three. The only index that matters wow, to me out. is the QB index by Chris Wessling. Every <laughs> oh, week. yeah. Doing um, a great job this year. Yeah. You said that uh, Rex Burkhead or the Patriots choked the life out of Vegas. Well, I mean, what? I think Corona did that initially, but then, you know, you know. I was going to say, it's been quite a 2020 for yeah. poor Vegas, but uh, the team that plays there will live for another week. All right. We have a bunch of cornered animal games on the schedule. Ricky, let's get Ooh. a drop there. Very nice. Let's uh, check out the first one from Heinz Field. Ben feeds Connor, gets a block on the flank, inside the 10, inside the 5. Touchdown, James Connor from 12 yards out. James Conner off the right side, but I defer to my offensive lineman in the booth. Uh, he There's a lot happened up Matt front. Filer hooked with Whitney Merciless, and he hooked him, and that's why James Conner 
skirted outside. I can tell you Filer took no mercy on the merciless one. Yeah. <laughs> Bill Hillgrove and Tunch Elkin with the call for WVE. I like this. This is the old Damashek theme. Let's just play this with Steelers games. James Conner put the Steelers ahead for good midway through the fourth quarter. The Steelers' defense smothers Deshaun Watson in the final two quarters after the Texans' quarterback had had a really nice first half. Uh, but it was all over after that. 28-21, the final. Steelers are 3-0 for the first time in a decade. The Texans 0-3 for the second time in three years. And you'll remember, or perhaps you won't, that in 2018, this, that Texans team that started 0-3 went 11-5. But you know what? This feels different. Uh, probably didn't feel too good at 0-3 in 2018, but it certainly doesn't <laughs> feel good right now. And and I think the most disheartening thing about this game was the way it played out. Um, because, yes, we're all aware by this point, Texans got screwed. The scheduling gods were not fair. Chiefs, Ravens, Steelers, weeks one, two, three. Those are three of the top five teams in football, you can say. Um, and they just were outclassed in the first two weeks. But on Sunday, this did feel like the classic cornered animal game where the team that's 0-2 that desperately needs the win, they might not be better than their opponent, but they need the game so badly they just find a way and you maybe get behind your best player and he get he gets you the W you desperately need. And Deshaun Watson... Uh, had thrown for over 200 yards in the first half. He threw two touchdown passes. He was mm. evading tacklers and making all those Deshaun Watson plays. All the wide receivers were back in the mix, and it just looked like the Texans had a real shot. And then it all got wiped away uh, once the the Steelers changed up their defense a little bit, got a little more aggressive, and uh, and from that point on, it was there was nothing cooking. They had. Uh, Five sacks overall. They had less than 100 yards total, I believe, in the second half. Houston, no points. And the Steelers grinded it out. Um, Mike Hilton had an interception earlier, early in the fourth quarter, which set up a long Pittsburgh touchdown drive. That was followed by a three and out by the defense. And then another grinding drive by the Steelers that ran out the clock. And that was it. So it wasn't a... Dominant effort by the Steelers. We ha- really haven't seen that yet from Pittsburgh, but they're three and zero. And and Houston, when you lose the when you lose the cornered animal game and you go zero and three, you're mm. you're essentially on life support, and that's where they're at uh, before we even sniff October. It typically means dead animal if you lose cornered animal scenarios. Yeah. <laughs> they have no identity. They second week in a row they have no running game to speak of, and second week in a row they could not stop. The footprints on their back in the second half of the game and you're gonna think I'm crazy because he went over 100 yards for back-to-back games but I think James Conner is a problem for the Steelers hmm. um, I think he's the slowest starting running back in the NFL and I think for this last week he had a 50-yard run at the end that padded his stats this week Steelers offensive line was blowing Houston off the ball almost every fourth quarter run and James Conner had plenty of room to work with but I think you saw why they started to get their rookie. I think his name is Anthony uh, McFarland involved today um, for a change of pace role because they need a big play element. And and I think that James Conner's stats are not reflective of the way he's playing. Mm. I mean, that's a good problem to have, though. 
You know, you can survive if you can. If that's your biggest problem, I mean, their defense puts up crooked numbers. If you look at kind of the ES, well, you know, the the box score. There's an here. issue here too. Their their secondary is not nearly as good as last year. And you asked me last week after the Broncos played them closer than one might expect what was wrong. I went back and watched them during the week, and Devin Bush is getting bra- dragged around the field by tight ends. He's a problem. Joe Hayden looks like he's lost a step. Um, Steven Nelson has been burnt a few times. Hilton had the intercept, interception today, but also got burnt by Randall Cobb. Um, pass rush is legit. I just worry about the coverage of their secondary. Right. It's all pass rush. They 12 quarterback hits, five sacks, seven tackles for loss, four, you know, pass defense, which is partly the pass rush. It's like that pass rush and that offense, that'll, that'll beat you, beat some bad teams. I, they haven't played like a team, I think. Off the top of my head, that's how to win this year. So they haven't really faced a tough competition quite yet. I'd be concerned with the Texans' defense, and you know they came in as the, I think the second or third worst defense against the run. And for James Conner's deficiencies that you point out, Wes, that might be there, like he's still get putting up these numbers. And uh, you know, I, the Texans to me, you can't really be, you can't count on them to really run the ball effectively and dominate that way, and they can't stop the run. And I don't think 0-3, 0-3 against these three teams, um, you, you got you to gotta sort of stop yourself at the door and see, let's see where they are, you know, a month from now. But they're 0-3 for a reason, too. I just think that they're a weird team that uh, I don't trust them at all. Does someone trust them to, like, go on this run that they did two years ago after that rough start? I don't. Can't. You can't. I'll give you one stat that tells the story of Sunday and then one stat that and some of it's luck, but it's terrible uh, if you're a Houston fan. Uh, the exact figure is 51 yards in the second half today and just two, fir- two first downs. That's it in the final two quarters. That's a Deshaun Watson team um, led by Bill O'Brien. And they don't have a turnover yet. The season, zero turnovers. Mm. Not going to win. If you don't have an explosive offense and your defense is only so-so and maybe less than that and you get, don't get turnovers, look out. And what, one difference between now and 2018, I was going to say between now and 2018, is the AFC South is better. I mean, uh, you have the Titans Much at right 3-0. Right. The Colts are a solid team. AFC is a completely different conference too. So, you know, it's not waltzing into the AFC title game based on a you know 11 and 5 record where you've got plenty of weaknesses. Speaking of AFC South teams, let's move on. His Corner down talk. Animal. 58. Corner right animal. For the lead. Snap. Set. Kick. God! <laughs> Holy Toledo. <laughs> 55 yards for the lead. Wow. That was insane. <laughs> oh, I love the National Football League. <laughs> oh, coming to the club. Mike Keith, you come in too. Drinks on us. Steven Gaskowski has offered up the finest comeback story of this young season. From the utter embarrassment of week one in Denver to the glory of Sunday. Six for six on field goals, including that 55-yard blast. Never a doubt to put the Titans ahead for good in an eventual 31-30 to win over the still winless, still cornered, still limping Vikings. Oh. You got, you, I don't know. We got to invent. We have to invent a new game because you know who plays next week? The Vikings and the Texans. Is it the rare <laughs> double roadkill game? 
<laughs> where we just like poke at them with sticks. Yeah. Remember there's corner always animal, like the one psycho animal kid. cage match. <laughs> there's always yeah. one psycho kid in the neighborhood that would be like interested in the dead cat on the side of the road. That's who's going to be interested oh, yeah. in that game. Was that yeah, you, Mark? Uh, no, I had friends. That, um, <laughs> they got into this thing, which was really uh, I didn't approve of, although I participated in first grade, where you take a frog. We live near a pond. You take a frog and throw it up 15 feet in the air, and it would land on the cement and suffer um, incredible bodily injuries. And I walked away from that contest after about a week of that, thinking this doesn't feel right in my heart. That's good. If that's what you're asking, Greg. So what happened to the rest of your future serial killer friends? <laughs> I don't know. Unaccounted for. Probably out on the run. Very concerning. All right. Wow. So, yeah, no. Real deal. Guskowski, good for you, man. It just shows you how with kickers, it's having that resiliency and that sh- – it's like a, a good closer in baseball, Wes. You know, you need you got to be able to put the failure behind you, and the mental side of it is almost as important as what, what the power in the leg. Uh, so good for him. And as for the Vikings – I think we all have teams that we're wrong about that we feel strongly about in late August and early September. For me, it's the Vikings. I thought they were just—I thought they were going to be a solid team. I didn't think they were a Super Bowl team, but I thought they were a team that was going to be in the mix and uh, taking a playoff spot. But that's hard to make a case for, and it goes back to their defense: four hundred and forty-six yards allowed today. I mean, you wasted. These are the two things you wasted: Dalvin Cook. Career best running day, 186 yards and a touchdown. Justin Jefferson, I talked about it last week, that one of the problems of the Vikings in the first two weeks was the offense looked like it had a quarterback that only trusted one guy, Adam Thielen. Well, here's Justin Jefferson, the first-round pick, goes seven for 175 and a touchdown. And you lose because you can't get a stop on defense for the the life of you, and now you're 0-3 with two home losses, and it's just grim. So the, the Titans are 3-0, and conversely, and they have their three wins by a grand total of six points. So try to figure out where they, they place in the pecking order. That's my job as power rankings guy, uh, so I have to figure that out later tonight. But they are 3-0, and and the Vikings are in a world of hurt at 0-3 with a roadkill game coming up. <laughs> I'll take your closer kicker analogy one step further here, Dan. As a general rule, both species tend to be overrated simply due to their usage. But Mm. the exception is that a lights-out closer, just like Justin Tucker, is invaluable. Right. Just invaluable. Exactly. Mm. Well put. I I saw some of the quotes. And Guskowski might be their MVP, by the way. Or at least Vrabel's decision to keep him uh, is... (laughs) Let's calm down. All right. He was amazing last week. He missed an extra point last week, too, but he was better from field goal range. But he he hit two... Uh, tough field goals yes. at the end of uh, you know the halves, and then and then today, or at least the decision to to keep him is amazing. Mike Zimmer, on the other hand, I think is losing his mind. I mean, he's not a guy who handles losing well. Um, he he called their last drive that the Texans had. I mean, they got the ball back down one. Oh, it was plenty a mess. of time. Oh, it was and bad. he called it chaos. And they asked Kirk Cousins about it, and he just said, "Well, I'm not sure what he's referring to. You'll have to ask Mike." So that that that's not great. Oh, watch the tape, um, Kirk, because you, you, they never even competed <laughs> in that last drive. And Zimmer also, you know, when they were kind of picking on his cornerbacks, he then threw his two safeties under the bus and saying they're biting on play action and giving up these big plays. They got the big names, but they're making big time mistakes. Uh, talking about Anthony Harrison, Harrison Smith. So it's like it's tough times right now. 
Minnesota. I mean, the, the Vikings' last drive was four plays for negative 14 yards with an interception. What is cloudy to Kirk Cousins about well, what was unpleasant And I will say, in, the, in the defense of Cousins, when you go back and watch it, I don't know what happened, but there was some type of egregious breakdown in the offensive line in that last possession because every he snapped the ball, and they, he had three guys in his face, it felt like, almost immediately. Um so that could sometimes be on the quarterback, too, for a variety of reasons. But it was, in all phases, a total breakdown. It's just there's no juice with this team right now. And D- and like I said, when you when you get that game from Cook, when you get Jefferson stepping up and you're 0-2 and you're at home and you got a lead, they had a 12-point lead in the third quarter, you got to win that game. And you didn't, and now you got to pay the consequences. I enjoyed your tweets about Jefferson because very astute. He does change everything with this offense. It's exactly what they needed. It's what they haven't had. Cousins trusting receivers other than Thielen to even be open. Um, that's exactly what this offense needed. So, Do you think, though, inside the building in Minnesota that there are people thinking we have got to think about the quarterback position? Well, they just I'm gave him a new go- contract. It kind of slipped know, under the radar, but they just it's, gave him a second contract. Uh, I'm just wondering if they're, what they're thinking in if their Because I'm, not, I'm maybe, not out to kill Cousins. Maybe but, a second contract was unnecessary. That was my vibe because you could have had him as a lame duck UB and then explored your options. But this game was not – they had more yards in the first half this this game than they did in four quarters last week. And it seems like, especially if Jefferson is a guy who can put together multiple weeks, their offense with Gary Kubiak there, I think they're going to be back on track. But I don't know if there's a, a solution on defense. So far, it is no bueno. Oh, you can't it's you a, can't just take Kevin Stefanski out of the building and think that you're going to you know seamlessly roll into the next season as a playoff <laughs> He's operation. Failing He's failing himself. He's failing himself. It's very clear that you can't do that. So. He's failing himself. Right. Mark, it's a fair question about Cousins and regret because go back to that division championship week against the Packers when when they broke Cousins, and in, what, four or five games since then, they have gone like three full quarters without moving the offense at all. It's been downright dysfunctional, and you just don't see franchise quarterbacks go through games like that. Right. He feels like someone that could be broken. That is sort of my concern about him versus other quarterbacks out there. All right, let's move on. Quarterbacks break all the time. This could be the last play of the football game. Single high safety. Herbert on the back pedal. Being pressured. Throws underneath, and it's caught the hook and ladder, but it's dropped. The ball's loose at the 20. The Panthers fall on it, and Carolina is going to win this football game. The first win. There are no flags. The first win of the Matt Rule era, and it comes almost 3,000 miles away from home, but what a joyous flight home it will be for these brand-new Panthers. Wake up. Nick Mixon, who only now, I realize, sounds exactly like famed wrestling announcer Jim Ross. (laughs) Like, I thought it was him. (laughs) Carolina forced three turnovers. Joey Sly kicked five field goals. Man, the kickers have really answered after the uh, closed-door meeting at the kicker club. The last two weeks have been excellent. And the Panthers beat the Chargers 21-16, giving Matt Rule, as we heard from the Jim Ross imposter, his first victory in the NFL. Mark, the Panthers' defense was a mess in the first two weeks, but a date with a rookie QB and Justin Herbert was a recipe for getting right, I guess. Yeah, I think that would be the story of the game. I mean, we you could have looked at the Panthers' defense and – with evidence and logic said it was a bottom three defense in the NFL. And that may still prove to be true, 
But Derek Brown, who had not really shown up a lot in the first two weeks, the first round pick played well today. Brian Burns had a strip sack. Uh, you know, I just, Justin Herbert, I still totally believe in this quarterback. He still does some things that just make you think they've got something here. Hmm. But, you know, I would imagine that the idea that he needs to come out and do what he did last week and just do it week after week um, is a tall order. I, Austin Eckler played a really good game for a part of this. But they struggled, and you know they're like to me they're just a team that um they're limited they're just limited i just I don't love their passing game at all. Um, I give the Panthers a lot of credit i mean they this is was their first win by the way he said of the Matt rule era their first win in three hundred and twenty nine games three hundred and twenty nine days, days. Wow. so that would be not rough games. For games would be games. notable <laughs> games would be notable um were, days. Wait, were we after last Stanley's? win. <laughs> were, were, the there, London game was that the last win? It was November, I believe. Mm. So I think it would have been a little bit okay, after that. But um, but Joey Sly, your boy Dan, um, I he took your conversation to heart. He uh, was five for five on field goals. He's in that. He's in that. You know, you've got your you know your Butker and those guys up at the top. But Sly guys, is sort of Justin creeping Tucker. into that. Well, I call him those guys. Those he's guys. he's creeping into that next tier, though. Mm. And uh, this no, is something for the Panthers to build on. Wait yeah, Sly is. I mean, he's he's money. I know, so but Ty that, Forbath's on the practice squad now, so he better not slip up. You could almost hear it in the call, though, from Mick Mixon. I mean, the story to me was the last two plays of the game. Number one, you have one-on-one Keenan Allen versus Trey Boston. You throw it up. Ooh, you like those odds. Trey Boston makes a play. The next play, they had it. I mean, that was the play of the year. It was all set up. It was perfect. Eckler's scoring that touchdown. There's no one there on the edge. Keaton Allen catches it. He 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 makes a bad pitch to Allen, but it, it, was, it was a drawn bad pitch. Up, it was drawn up perfectly. No one was really on top of Allen. He sort of rushed the throw, you know, like and if, you know, this is easy for us to say on the sideline, but it was exactly how you draw it up. No one was really right on top of Allen, and all he has to do is complete the pitch to Eckler, and we are talking about that play as one of the plays of the year. It, I mean, it was right there. It is going to be a brutal uh, play to watch for them <laughs> the next day. Well, it, right. It was that. It's also like that's how you're stuck having to try to win these games. I mean, there's just they're not a dominant team that separates from anyone else on offense. Um, but I, but you know what? Like to be here in week three with Herbert as the starter, uh, I will see what happens with Tyrod Taylor and Anthony Lynn and the rest of it. But I would stick with Justin I would Herbert. Wonder. I just, I, I really would. Now that, and I don't know the severity of the injury, obviously unfortunate circumstances with the team doctor and the needle and the collapsed lung, uh, but you're coming off a loss now where Herbert didn't light it up. If if uh, Anthony Lynn wanted to show Tyrod Taylor the respect and maybe avoid a lawsuit, I don't know. Would he uh, turn to him? Sounds in pretty the indefinite. Week? <laughs> the the injury, the way they talk about it, it does not sound like something that he's going to quickly recover hmm. from. All right. Well, let's move on. More more cornered animal action. Here we go. So Thirty nine yard attempt. Hash mark left side. Lions trying to pick up the victory. Prater's ready. Mulebach to snap. There it is. Fox the spot. Kick away. It is yes, up. Sir. And it is good. And the Lions have won it. Yes, sir. The Lions have gone to the desert and picked up victory number one. That's why you never corner a lion. Who corners a lion? <laughs> Bad move. You're going to get those big old paws and the big old mouth and those angry eyes. 
Matt Prater's game-winning field goal attempt was true. And the Lions beat the Cardinals. What was it, 23-20? 26-23. To snap an 11-game losing streak that dates back to last season. Matthew Stafford put on a clinic on the final drive of the game, milking the better part of five game minutes before that game-winning boot by Prater, who wears an earring in one ear. Greg, the Lions, <laughs> everyone associated with the Lions, including Kevin Patrick, needed this one. They did. I mean, you don't you don't corner the lion. You sit. You don't corner a panther. Those big cats. You don't corner them. Wouldn't do it. I shouldn't sh- do it. I saw a lion at the uh, Santa Barbara Zoo on Saturday. You wouldn't want to corner that that guy. No, definitely he's not. Gonna- He's going to come out scratching. I mean, Matthews. Greg, Greg, he's in a zoo, so he's been cornered and beaten, essentially. Actually, he was kind of just like a life bar. He's kind of just chilling there, to be he's honest. It was it was actually a little sad. Browbeaten. Yeah. yeah, he was sitting there. But he was a beautiful although the, Although and, uh, zoology has come a long way, was. especially in their exhibits, where they try to at least recreate the uh, setting of their natural habitat uh, compared to... You go to the old L.A. Zoo in Griffith Park, it basically looked like an insane asylum from the 1700s. You'd stick a girl right, in that I mean, thing, and it would just be like, "My goodness, Maron." Now, at least, I, there's well, little progress. I appreciate your come like, pro way. zoo diatribe, but I mean, zoos are still essentially. Well, I would know, not call that a you know, pro zoo. They were, this diatribe. was like a rescue. It was, you know, one of those. They always say, "Well, we rescued him; otherwise, he wouldn't survive." Get the tranks in Ricky. the wild. But uh, you know, Matthew Stafford, he can survive in the wild. You you said it, Dan, and I thought he was. I thought he's been erratic. Um, through two and a half games. Really, this game, too. Uh, hasn't been quite what you would want. Missed a lot of throws in this game. You know, they they picked off Kyler Murray three times. They dropped a fourth pick. They had great field position that they didn't take advantage of. Um, but on that drive, it was, like, so calm. Every decision was right. He saw where the blitz was coming from. He had one of the prettiest throws of the year that would have put the Lions down at the one uh, with just over two minutes left, mm. called back by a holding penalty. I mean, this was an unbelievable throw to Marvin Hall. And uh, you just figured, well, that's the Lions moment. You know, that was like they were going to win the game, and now they're going to lose the game because of the Lions. And Stafford, who has, you know, I think as many game-winning comebacks in the fourth quarter as just about anyone, just like showed you how it's done. They killed the clock nicely. And uh, they got out of there in a game that I was like, frankly, surprised every time they got a stop. It felt like a little bit of a miracle every time they stopped the Cardinals offense. Wow. So that's where we are with the Lions defense right now because we can expect with Kenny Galladay back that they might have a frisky offense. But yeah. the difference between these two teams, and I don't think the Cardinals defense is very good either, but but the the Lions defense is the worst unit in this matchup. I mean, J.B. Collins made a pick. Deron Harmon. Jamie Collins really forced two turnovers, so he earned his uh, big paycheck today. Deron Harmon, another former Pat, had a – had a pick. Murray, I don't know if he wasn't seeing the guys. That was Brady Quinn's guess because of Murray's height. I don't know. Bad decisions. Hmm. I don't know. He made bad decisions. Um, probably the worst decision he made was late in the game on a third and nine. Again, I'm telling you, they, they had a hard time stopping the Cardinals' tempo. When it looked good, it looked good. But it was just turnovers. They didn't punt till the fourth quarter. He had a third and nine uh, where he has Isabella wide open. And instead, he decides to throw it 60 yards down the field, double coverage, goes incomplete and and that's where Stafford goes and wins the game right after that. You know, some people uh tend to miss that Kyler Murray is not the tallest quarterback, but because of the size of his helmet, which is truly gargantuan, he appears to be <laughs> seven foot six. But when you take the, the oversized helmet off, he is only four foot seven. That is a fun fact for you guys. 
struggling. Four foot, Those lines four are foot seven. I mean, man, he his good plays though are so good. I mean, his two touchdown, his rushing touchdown, the move he put on Okuda was just outrageous, and the the throw he had to Isabella for a touchdown was just ridiculous. I mean, his his good plays are are just so good. They just make you believe everything's possible. But um they they're they're not quite there. I don't think their passing game by the way has been any better this year than it has a year ago. Uh with well, DeAndre Hopkins. It might be worse. It might so far I would say it's worse. They've relied on him scrambling and uh Hopkins has a, had another monster game has over 350 yards but no one else hmm. um is above 100 uh or maybe Isabella just went over it so they're, they're just a little a little uneven i actually thought they they looked like the cardinals i expected except for the turnovers today but that's a big exception right no one had more than 47 yards outside of hopkins but so the hopkins things is wor- it's working out but you're suggesting that maybe He's getting oh, too much attention? No, or? no, just that their passing game as a unit has not been better this year. I don't think his passing's right, just, been better. I think it'll get better, but that's not the reason why they've been winning these games, or at least their first two. I was thinking it was going to be from- the Ewing theory in Houston, but it hasn't been that way so far. <laughs> <laughs> He's been phenomenal as a scrambler, like Lamar Jackson good as a scrambler, but please stop talking about... Kyler Murray an MVP candidate in the same sentence it's September first of all and, and second of all he hasn't he hasn't passed well at all well three picks will, will help you out there plus Russell Wilson's Thank in the you. league um Andy right. Isabella by the way was the pick uh the Josh Rosen trade pick and he has gotten off to a bit of a slow start the former second round pick but two touchdowns in this game uh so that is that's a positive on the non DeAndre Hopkins uh beat all right let's move on Good job, Patra. Running back is Rojo. Ronald Jones tied it in motion. Brady will throw a fade route near sideline. Caught ball. Mike Evans, touchdown Tampa Bay. Buccaneers get two catches in the end zone from Big Mike Evans. 52 career touchdowns. And the Buccaneers lead 23-3. to Jane Deckerhoff, WFUS, with the call. Tom Brady threw three touchdown passes, including... A pair to the eternally overlooked and underrated Mike Evans, in my opinion, anyway. And Shaq Barrett celebrated uh, his return to Denver with two sacks, including a safety. Sorry, Mark. The Bucks 28-10 win (laughs) over the winless, hapless Denver Broncos. So you can corner a Bronco because the beast is so large that putting it in a corner essentially paralyzes it. It can't move. Hmm. And if you ever get nervous, Ricky, what do you do? You trank it. A lot of cruelty to animals here. West aggression. West Tampa Bay's defense against uh, Jeff Driscoll felt like a mismatch. Apparently, that was the case. Yeah, and I, I fully expect everyone to keep talking about the Bucks' offense because of the names involved. But to me, the more fun unit to watch and. The better unit is the defense, which for the second week in a row basically had a feeding frenzy at the expense of the quarterback. Turnovers galore, sacks, um, blitzes from Todd Bowles, which Greg always loves. Um, He's on fire right now. (laughs) Levante David, one interception, almost had another. Um, Devin White turned it into a great linebacker there in the middle. This is is a really good defense. And in the offense, you can tell – they came out trying to get Gronk involved. I think he had like six first-half targets in this game. Mm. Hmm. 
That's nice. Still moved the ball. They had a good. Well, did he do anything good, with the this targets? This was not a game in any way. He said um, just this week he that he's looks, here to block. Well, I think that was like his. You know how it's it is. Bit. That's my. That's the feed me call. Like you guys are gonna. Uh, I'm gonna act like I enjoy blocking, but still, a few passes coming my way well, would which, be nice. Well, Wes, it's uh, 2020. He's, he's, got to, he's got to go onto his Instagram and scrub all uh, mentions to his team. <laughs> that's how you get targets. That's what I learned. Should have had a TD too, but. Brady overthrew him in the corner of the end zone. Mm. Um, one mm. of the few mistakes Brady had. Brady had a pretty good, pretty good day passing the ball. Well, I was going to ask you, us like, where are we with Tom Brady three weeks in? Where do you? I know where, where is he in your QB index? Where is he in your QB overall world? He was fifteenth going into this. Um, he will climb a few spots based on what other people did and what he did. Um, I, I don't see him as a big issue like the way I see Drew Brees physical limitations are an issue I don't think Brady moves as well in the pocket as he used to but he's shown that he's making the throws throws are not a problem if I know Wes I know um I feel like you probably like a little Antoine Winfield Jr. they do have some defensive backs that Bowles really knows how to use Winfield Jr. And then Murphy Bunting when he's healthy. Carlton Davis is playing well. It's like no Carlton one knows Davis these guys yet, but great. I think I think they will know them eventually because I'm with you. It's early, but they look like one of the very best defenses in the league. The funny thing about the Bulls, Asants, uh, Greg, is that you got on a little prematurely. Um, but now I just it's like kind of friskiness, it's the aggressiveness. Blitz, well, that's right. called, Blitz it's called looking it, ahead. Greg Blitz tell it doesn't but matter it kind of worked anymore. out for you. You were like a guy that like – Showed up at the movie theater seven hours before Bad Boys 3 or something, <laughs> thinking that you would need to do that and to get in, but it wasn't the case at all, so you had a front center seat. Um, but it, like, but the movie's great. Analogy. Ultimately, yeah, it's worked out great. for you. Thank you. Yeah. I mean, the talent and the aggressiveness. He calls a fun game. I, I know what Wes is talking about. At least like if you're going to just be on defense, eh, make it fun. You know, blitz like freaking crazy. Oh, you got Vita Vea eating Lloyd Cushenberry's lunch. You got J- J- JPP making Noah Fant look like a chump. Mm. This Bucks defense is everywhere. Do you think that uh, Ripian, the nephew of Mark Ripian, will take this uh, starting job away for good? Isn't it Ripon? Is it Ripian? I call him he, Ripian. He, Ripon came in to Ripon. play in garbage time. Um, <laughs> you can't really Ripian. assess much. <laughs> It was deep garbage time. There wasn't much of a pass rush. He got throws out early, but they were like four and five yards at a time. It's really hard to tell. Uh, my, my sense was they figured Driscoll isn't moving the ball and he's getting killed. He's getting hit like every series. Let's just get some data on this other guy and help us make a choice next week. But uh, I don't think Rippin is like some high upside guy. Former Super Bowl champion Mark Ripian. I have always said Ripian, but I also like take that New York Times um, survey they do about certain words and how you pronounce them, and realize that like ninety eight percent of America does not say words that I say the way. Well, that there I is say, like a, so. a right or wrong way to say a last name. I mean, so it's not like it's well, an I was, interpre- interpretation. I specialize Ripian. in getting some of those way it's off. A, you know. Philosophical, never. Like Brett Favre pronounces his name incorrectly, but who are you to tell to him that? Thank you. Tyrod Taylor. He doesn't even know how to pronounce his name. All right, let's move on. Mayfield under center. Gives the ball. Chubb's coming out to the left. He's getting led by Wyatt Teller. He's to the 15-10. Five-quarter touchdown, Nick Chubb. He's done it again. He is amazing. Jim Donovan, Doug Deacon. You just haven't heard those names a lot on this program. WKRK with the call. Baker Mayfield threw 
two touchdowns. Nick Chubb ran for a couple more. The Browns 34-20 over the Washington football team playing without Mark Ribian. The Browns are over 500 <laughs> for the first time since 2014. That's crazy. Um, what? Mark, watching this game from afar, you see the ticker telling you Washington is up in the fourth quarter. I guess things changed in a hurry, huh? Yeah, and to your point, an incredible, um, an incredibly depressing stat for the city of Cleveland was uh, produced early in this game. That it had been 84 straight games that the Browns had been at 500 or below 500. Whoa. That is years. Okay, that is years. Uh, that is That tells you a lot about my mood that in dealing with many of you um, over the course of half a decade. I <laughs> Not really an excuse, to, but that's okay. Go on. It's not an excuse. It's not a fair excuse. Their better players are playing well right now. Miles Garrett's two straight weeks with a strip sack um, in a pivotal moment. Nick Chubb. You know, and I'm not trying to like look at Nick Chubb differently than I would other running backs. I just love the way that he that he operates. He's just fun to watch. He is a punisher. Um, they are lucky to have basically um, lured in Kareem Hunt and then resigned him. I think at a very, very incredibly like um, affordable market value and have what I think is the best backfield in the NFL. And Mayfield two games in a row. Um, it wasn't the Bengals game. They were not perfect, but. Odell and Odell and Mayfield had a connection again in this game, and to me, Baker Mayfield played another clean game with 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 an with an ounce of confidence that I, I think was missing last mm. year. And I think the difference is, and it's not to pile on the Freddie Kitchens business, but they just seem to go into the last couple of games. Baltimore, I think you just dealt with a Super Bowl type team, but the last two games they just seem to be more organized on offense to have a plan and to execute it. Um, which is a really unusual thing for the Browns. And when you look at Washington, um, Dwayne Haskins had three interceptions in this game, and they were killer. I, you know, he just, there isn't a, I'm not, I'm not seeing a lot from Dwayne Haskins that points to me and says if there's any way that Washington has a chance to draft one of these quarterbacks early um, next April, that, they, that and nothing would stop them from doing it. It's not, he's not in a great situation. He's in a talent-poor offense um, with a new regime. But there's just not much there uh, that I'm seeing. And Cleveland, you know, they're learning how to win. I don't know what to take away from this. I think that they're a team that is beating up on lesser competition. And we'll see what they do when they face a real team. They play, they play Dallas next week. That will be more of an acid test in terms of their defense, which Cleveland's defense is concerning. There are problems there. They're banged up, but they're also just not a very good defense. What's really jumped out to me compared to last year is their offensive line. And a guy like Wyatt Teller, who they picked up for peanuts um, before last season, and the offensive line gurus on Twitter are, are writing him up every week talking about how improved he is, and he's one of the better guards in the NFL now, and you throw in one of the better centers, Joel Batonio, that is one of the best interior offensive lines in the NFL. There's no reason this team should not run every single week on defenses. And if you can run then there's no reason why Baker Mayfield can't do play-action fakes every week, too. Right. They only seem to lose their way. They, were, they had a hideous third quarter, if you go back and watch this game. They got away from what they're good at. Just run the ball 60 times a game and see where it gets you. Well, that's not, that's not enough to go as far as they want. It makes sense when you're going against Washington. 
I'm with you, though, on the offensive line. I mean, and, and I was wondering if I've seen things. I checked PFF. They they basically have the best offensive line in football through PFF's grading through two weeks in terms of the combined run blocking and pass blocking, especially run blocking. But even pass blocking, they were third. I mean, Baker, Mayfield, and you're right, they got to play better competition, although Washington's defense is fine. He's in a he is in a great situation, and I'm I'm eager to see as you say, uh, Mark, as they kind of step up in competition the next few weeks. You assume they're going to continue to do well in offense based on what we're seeing from Dallas's defense, but yeah, this once right. we get a jump up, this is a nice little pocket for them. Cincinnati, Washington, uh, there that's going to be a that's going to be a hotly. Listen, Mark, I don't know where you draft next Thursday, but you know, a lot of people are going to be want to watch that Cowboys Browns game. I don't know where your pick is. So just well, I mean, what is, get on you, you think that one of you are going to be able to wrestle that game away from me? I, that's not how this works. The draft even, is even its own you, thing, man. Even if you pull that off on NFL Network or whatever, whatever you know, platform you attempt to pull that off on, we will have backwater talks that remove that game from you in a minute. I'm so planning. It's a bad idea. I'm planning CNN is where I plan to. Swipe the Browns Cowboys. I have another guest spot on CNN on Tuesday night, by the way. So please um, tune in at 7 p.m. Eastern. (laughs) By the way, Chase Young, we, you know, all amped up about the Washington uh, front four um, after week one. He left this game in the first half with a groin issue. Uh, He did that affected them. They were never the same. I, I really think that Chase Young is such a difference maker on that defense. When he went out, and I'm glad you brought that up, they were never the same. Montez Sweat, though, that guy had one of the better. I don't mm. feel like he's been on my radar much um, during his career. Had one of the better games I've seen. He looks better this year. I mean, if you if you win the turnover battle five zero against Washington, you, you better win by a you couple better scores. win. <laughs> All right, let's uh, let's move on to uh, bleaker affairs. Sets up, throws right side. It's picked off. Third of the day for the Colts. The Colts are running the other way with it at the twenty. CJ Carey and Carey turns it all the way in to a pick six. Two of them. Two of them on the day for the Colts. Touchdown. I-N-D-Y. Defense. Have a day. The Matt Taylor, Rick Venturi, WFNI with the call. Sam Darnold threw three interceptions, including a pair of pick sixes. And the Colts coast to a... 36-7 win. They improved to 2-1 on the young season. Phillip Rivers, 17-21, 217 yards. His first turnover-free game since joining Indy. He's also now, and I know this doesn't matter on this podcast, but it matters to me, damn it. He becomes the sixth player in league history to throw for 400 career touchdown passes. And he's now over 60,000 yards. The fact that they were even debating... Uh, on the telecast on CBS, whether he was a Hall of Famer. For all his failures to win the big one and get to the Super Bowl, I just think he's been one of the best passers of his generation. That should get a gold jacket. Um, You know, the Jets actually moved the ball well against Indy, who entered this week with a top-ranked defense in the first half, but the wheels fell off, and, um, and things just kept getting worse. Darnold looked bad on the... He made some nice plays, as he does every week, where he looks good. And then he makes some bad decisions, and it seems like when he makes a bad decision, a bad decision, he pays for it. And uh, the Colts secondary was all over him when he uh, put balls up for grabs and made him pay dearly. And as if it couldn't get worse, Mackay Becton, who's been really the only shining star uh, for the Jets in what's quickly becoming 
uh, what looks to be a 1-15 in 15 type season, and they might be lucky there. Uh, he leaves with a shoulder injury, and you never want to hear a giant tackle having a shoulder issue uh, because those things tend to be issues. So uh, the Jets are the worst team in football. The Colts took care of business as they should. There's not much to take out of Jets games right now. You know the Jets are terrible. You know they're going to fire their coach. Um, uh, but I mean more from the perspective of the team that's playing them. Like, I didn't learn really much from the 49ers last week. Uh, I didn't learn anything from the Colts this week, other than they could bully a team that's um, really would be relegated if the league was structured a different way. Uh, <laughs> but nice job by the Colts, got the W and stayed healthy, and uh, they move forward. Colts are in a weird spot after these two games against the Vikings where the Vikings, I mean, Vikings are a better team, but just the way that game played out, they've had a strange season. The Colts dominated week one against the Jaguars, you know, but they found a way to lose. They've played, you know, three of the worst teams in the league, certainly three of the worst defenses, um, the way they're playing. It almost feels like their season hasn't started. I'm with you. I'm still not exactly sure what's up with the Colts, but that's fine. You're two and one. They're my Super Bowl pick. So that when when that happens, Dan, then Philip Rivers <laughs> will be an obvious skull jacket guy. What you need? You think they need to? He needs to win a Super Bowl. Well, I don't know, but when he does, because I that would do it. Though. It's so that would do it. I don't think so. There I think are, he's a Hall of Famer. There are a lot of people who hold his many many seasons of high turnovers against him. Sure. Hmm. Okay. I mean, I mean, who do the Jets, the Jets' top three receivers today were Braxton Berrios, Kalen Balaj, and Lawrence Cager. Yeah, there was a there was an epically bitter. <laughs> he made um, up that last guy. <laughs> I had to I had to Google his first. These name. are guys being pulled off the practice squad. There was an epically bitter uh, Jets Jets text thread that I was on with my uncle Stu, Keith, uh, my brother, a couple of my cousins, and talking about all right, what are we going to do with the Jets? What are we going to do with Darnold and uh, first of all, Darnold can't have too many more of these type of games uh, because whether it's his fault or not, if if things implode and they do go one and fifteen and he fin- finishes with twenty five interceptions and four pick sixes or something, uh, and they have the one pick. Yeah, they're gonna get the one pick and they're gonna feel like you know what? Ugh, let's just reset this thing with Trevor Lawrence and and wh- or whomever it is. Um, but the the bigger the broader picture with the Jets. Um, is that they have so monumentally butchered these last three years that coincided with Darnold being drafted. They they have so undermined themselves from an organizational standpoint that there is no way to accurately judge if Darnold is good, bad, great, or terrible. So it's a hundred percent on ownership to me. Uh, it, it is has been it the whole systemic. time. I've said that the whole yep. time. There's been, you know, to me, it's it's a hundred percent on ownership. The way that they fired McCagnan, the way, you know, the just the the sequence of events, how they decided to hire and fire, and the decision they made, right. you know, by hiring Gase. This is systemic, and it's that's, ugly as it is as it could be, Wes. That's why your tweets about Donald lately make me really sad because. You want so well. You want so much to believe that he's not the problem. He is fixable, and I think it's sad because he's impossible to evaluate. Three years into his career, you don't know what he is because everything Adam Gase was hired to develop and make sure isn't ruined is going ruined. Right, and this may work out for Sam Darnold because he could get traded for a second or third round pick in April uh, to a better organization that has more around him and he could and 
Jet fans don't want this to happen, but he can end up having a successful career elsewhere. Uh, and that will all be fine if it goes Kyler Murray for the Jets with Trevor Lawrence. But you know what it feels like if you're a Jets fan? It feels like you're just going to hit reset and you're going to take out the dirty laundry and then welcome in uh, new future victims of your organization. Oh, uh, right. Because the, the I've other been there before. Yeah, like the other half has too. Like right, we all have. Achilles like, Smith ends up replacing David Klingler, and it's you know the same routine all over again. Right. The other half of Kyler Murray is Cliff Kingsbury. Right. Uh, who had a, who had a total conviction on what he wanted. A and the Jets will have a, a new plan. coach, and they'll have a new coach. Thirteen that games be... to go, though. Thirteen games to go. That's a lot of tape, and and Darnold is in a tough situation. But I I do think there's a a way for him to show. Um, what a talented player he is. 13 games is a long time here. And you're right. He His job, and that's the only thing left for this season, is he needs to convince the powers that be, Joe Douglas specifically, that he is the guy that the rebuild should continue around. So far, it's inconclusive at best. Let's move on. Here's a end around to Ayuk with check out to block and also Garland. Garland, a big-time block. Touchdown! San Francisco, Brandon Ayuk's first in the NFL. Get that rookie the rock, and it's not even a reception. <laughs> Greg Papa and Tim Ryan all sorts of fired up about Brandon Ayuk, first-round pick. He led the Niners in all receiving categories and scored on the ground. And back up Nick Mullins threw for 343 yards and a touch. The Niners control action in all phases. 36-9 win at MetLife Stadium over the Giants. Greg, this East Coast vacation... Uh, embarrassing the Jets, then the Giants. So it's like you know a lot of family trips. Some bad things happen, sure, but a lot of good memories too. <laughs> Great memories. <laughs> I mean, I'm so impressed with Kyle Shanahan, your boy, Mike, uh, Mark. Um, when you make the case that he's like the best coach in the league, I mean, show these last two weeks. There's this game reminded me of that Bear Bryant. I mean, that uh, Bum Phillips quote that Wes likes to bring up every once in a while. And uh, it was about Bear Bryant, but the, the quote was, he can take his and beat urine, and then he can take turn around and take urine and beat his. And I, and I <laughs> of course, I believe that. You give, him, you give him the Giants roster, he would have smacked this 49ers team around just like he did. And I, some people in my mentions going, well, they haven't played a real team. Give me a, free, give me a break with that. He's playing with like 12 or 13 backups. He's got Nick Mullins at quarterback, looking great, but you know, looking good, by the way, making some good plays against pressure. His entire defensive line is totally wiped out. So you got to give credit to Robert Sala. Um, Sala, really Sala, Sala, Sala. They dominated on defense, too. They did, you know, they scored every possession today. They scored every possession. They, the Giants did not get a single. Stop. And if they make the playoffs, the 49ers, that is, I think you look back at these two weeks, maybe what comes up in, in, against Miami and Philadelphia, too. And it's like managing the schedule because a lot of these players will come back. You're not going to survive forever this way. But I think that's impressive to, 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 to embarrass, to blow out actual NFL teams on the road with this array of injuries is something. Something. Your boy, Mark. I, I, I'm a huge Kyle Shanahan person. I always will be. I don't need to go deeper into that. But (laughs) he finds a way, no matter who Ah! his quarterback is, to get production. (laughs) Nick Mullins, 343 yards with a touchdown (laughs) and no interceptions. 
<laughs> they let him throw the ball 36 times. I mean, these it's New like York teams. About all can these... I just say, though, these New York teams are not even really NFL teams. I get it, but the, okay, That's the fine, Steel, right? they played the Steelers way tougher. You know, the Bill, the Jets played the Bills way tougher. It's like the Giants were in a game last week. Like, they're a professional team. Oh, and for, they, sure. The, for sure. The 49ers scored every possession. I mean, There's I can't, all these quarterbacks that are that. like in year four or five are like, when will they ever show us who they are? I mean, we could. there's eight of those guys. In comes Nick Mullins. Kyle Shanahan unleashes him for 36 passes, sight unseen, bang. I mean, they dominate. They dominated the Giants. I mean, what, I, a, I, what, a, what a statement against the Giants secondary that Shanahan looked at the tape all week and was like, oh, yeah, we can attack these guys with our backup quarterback <laughs> and all our wide right. receivers hurt. It doesn't matter. And George Kittle out. They just, I mean, they're better coached. They're better. Where are we on the they Giants? Lost, they lost Joe Judge. They lost Jordan Reed today. Of course we did. That uh, was, which I thought was a big That was right on uh, cue, though, Greg. Loss. The Jordan Reed injury is right on cue. Hey. But the, the he'll, Jason he'll Garrett. always have week two. Is it time for Jason Garrett to start getting some heat, Greg? You want to take a, a victory lap because it, the Giants no. offense isn't uh, doing it right now? Well, the line, the line is no better. They're right back to where they were. The line's been terrible. No, it might be worse. The Giants, the 49, that was what got me. I, I, you know, I'm not shocked that Shanahan came up with some good plays. There were open receivers. I mean, Mullins made a lot of plays against pressure, too. The Giants had more pass rush in this game um, than the 49ers probably did. But, yeah, I don't know. They're just, they, they were the worst rushing team in the league with Saquon Barkley. So, yeah, they, they had 17 yards rushing on 10 carries. There was a couple fluky plays early. Jones has a bad pitch. He has a terrible interception, which wasn't fluky, to end the first half. And that just felt like felt like curtains. But when your defense doesn't get a single stop all day against Brandon Ayuk, who had over 100 yards, you know, looking good. Um, I mean, that's on them. That's pathetic. All right. Before we move on to our next game, it's time for the handoff. Unless, Wes, you want to stick around. Your call. We didn't discuss I'll let it Shook take it from here. All right. Nick Shook, <laughs> fresh from the gym. Looks like he's about to explode out of that Nike shirt. Wes, thank you for joining us. We'll see you uh, later in the week. Shook looks like The Rock about to endorse <laughs> Joe Biden. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Wes. All right. See, you, uh, see you, Wes. See you later, man. All right. Shook, welcome back to the flagship show. It's the start of a beautiful tradition. Uh, we have uh, two games on the schedule with you and Sunday Night Football. You ready to dig in, buddy? Yeah, absolutely, even though these games were uh, less than ideal. <laughs> mm, all right, we'll, uh, we'll knock them out. Here we go. And now we're going to have a fourth and seven. Nothing personal, Shook. Jake Elliott comes what on. the outcome was going to be. And this is going to be a 59-yard field goal attempt for Jake Elliott. Well, we've been here before. We've been here before. Here it is. And now penalty flag fly. Oh, no. Oh, don't tell me the Eagles are going to. I, oh, I no. think there was movement by the Eagles. Oh, no. Oh, it's a great oh radio my now. goodness. Oh, on a field goal to win it, a five-yard penalty. I, 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 that's inexplicable how they can't line up for a field goal. That's what they did. They backed Jake Elliott out of a 59-yard attempt. It, it's, uh-oh. Nick's getting this treatment each week. It's not just that you disappointed Merrill Reese. I mean, you disappointed the whole city. Eagles. Jake Elliott lined up 
for a 59-yard field goal, 19 seconds left in overtime. False start on Matt Pryor forced the Eagles to punt it away, punt it for the tie. That's how it ended, 23-23. Kiss your sister. Everybody loses. Shook, the saddest thing is the Eagles needed a mini miracle just to get to this. What a disaster the Eagles have been. Yeah, I, I told uh, Erica to choose that call because n- no moment in the game captured how bad of a game it was more than that. You know, you're already lining up for an improbable field goal. Not impossible, but improbable. And then you immediately commit another error that then puts you out of field goal range, forces your coach to punt so that you can avoid perhaps turning the ball over near midfield and giving the Bengals a chance. (laughs) And then going forward from there. I mean, it was Carson Wentz was asleep at the wheel for the majority of the day. He still looked pretty bad, except for that last drive that tied the game. It's almost like he woke up and was like, hey, Oh, I got to go 75 yards here in under four minutes to tie the game. I can do this. And he did it just fine. And and it kind of illustrated that the Eagles still have some talent and ability to do things. They just haven't done it consistently, and they couldn't do it in overtime, which is, you know, uh, capped off by that false start penalty in just a, a, an ugly way. No tie is ever pretty, but this is an ugly tie. Mm. I mean, they punted three times in overtime. It's not yeah. like he didn't have a ball before that. Like, I think you could criticize Peterson – uh, for not going for it on fourth and twelve because there's only 19 seconds left. That the play that play itself is going to take six or seven seconds. That's uh, fair. You, it, you know, but you understand it because their offense is the worst in the league in terms of yards per play entering this game, and their yards per play against the Bengals defense actually went down. And it, it, they got the ball at the 45 at, at you know at their own 45 with whatever it was a couple minutes left. They only needed 20 yards to to go kick a field goal. And win Wait, the how many seconds? That. 12 there was 19 left you know when they snapped it uh for the for the punt so you know it would have you know you you do the fourth and 12 that takes another five or six seconds at least off the clock there there would have only been about 12 for the Bengals they would have been at the four I mean, you could so. do you could have done a hook and ladder type thing that runs out the clock you could have done a hail mary that's going to take 10 seconds off the clock and maybe you get a penalty or a catch or just get 15 yards and kick a field goal and win the game that's that? the thing. they had no faith <laughs> that there was any chance they could do that. And Nick, it sounds like there's, there's reason they had no faith. in them. Yeah. If you saw the three plays prior, they were crawling. I mean, they, they basically said, you know what? Okay. We're going to try and just get a yard here, a yard, the next play. And then we'll just like, there's the target line overlay on the field. They were inching toward the target line in the final minute and a half. <laughs> so as frustrating. They accepted that they couldn't get 10 yards, get a first down and get closer. It was, they were, they were playing not to lose in a tie game. Against the Bengals. Tied. Against the Bengals. At 0-2. It's the surrender index. That's what it's called. Yeah, I do I mean, find it well, I do find it delightful that these two teams tied. Um, I don't know what the anniversary would be, but back when Donovan McNabb, this happened with the Eagles against the Bengals, and McNabb had admitted after the game that he had no concept of the overtime guy, rules what a mess. to begin with. I would ask you this, though, Nick. How did, what did you see from Joe Burrow? Because I, it, the pressure that he is under – and I think he was pre- he's been pressured 42 times in the last two weeks, eight sacks today. I, like it, that was the huge question about his ability to you know progress as a quarterback behind a terrible offensive line. They need to start hiring like a, just a, just find some large men in the Cincinnati area that are nimble and can move. They're out um, there. You see that fly. <laughs> <laughs> I just I worry about him staying like staying safe in that situation. Yeah, well, so I was concerned last week being at TNF and watching him drop back over and over and over again. And you saw the amount of passes that he threw. Ooh, I was wondering. No, you were loving you were it. At what you were TNF, doing, so. huh? Uh, yeah, sure. I mean, it's down the road. Wow, you were like one of the 16 people there. That's pretty good. That's pretty good. 
<laughs> but uh, no, I mean, the, the many times that he dropped back in that game, I understood because they needed to push the ball down the field to try to keep pace with the Browns offense. That wasn't the case today. And he still had 44 attempts. I know overtime was included. 52 total dropbacks today. The eight sacks, as you mentioned, Mark, uh, the 42 pressures in the last two weeks split evenly. 21 today, 21 last week. Uh, if you're going to have a quarterback that you spend the number one pick on and you base your franchise around, you have to invest in, in, in protecting him better. And I understand that's not all done in one offseason, but how about limit the amount of times that he's going to take shots from guys? Today he got destroyed by Malik Jackson after getting a throw off. It, it, it drew a roughing penalty. But, I mean, I felt it here 500 miles away from Philadelphia. So I had, can't even imagine what he felt like mm-hmm. and still gutted out the rest of the game. Th- this is happening to him on a week-by-week basis now. They're going to crush the guy before they get to the end of the regular season if they don't at least try to shorten their offense or hand the ball if you got Joe Mixon back there and you had a lead for a good amount of the second half today and still, for some reason, kept trying to throw the ball down the field. You're 0-2. The Bengals come to your building, and you're lucky to tie. Well, you what caught up happened? a half a game. You caught up a half a game in the NFC. Half game out. Half a game back. <laughs> in the worst division in football, the NFC East. They're thrilled right. that no fans are allowed in. I mean, that is one right. scenario where, like, you're thankful that Corona reared its head in March. They'd be throwing car batteries. <laughs> All right, uh, next. Here's the snap. It's like the Eagles fans like, Good stop rush. bringing up the battery he throws, stuff, bro. Into the end zone. Touchdown. Yeah. Middle of the end zone. A beautiful throw yeah. ball to Anthony Miller. And the Bears have the lead in Atlanta. Terrific comeback in the fourth. And Anthony Miller hangs on to this one. Nick Foles took a crunching hit as he got rid of the football. Oh, Jeff Joniak with the call. The Falcons, what are you doing? <laughs> Surrender a 16-point lead in the final six and a half minutes of play. And the Bears get three touchdown passes from Nick Foles, who came in for Mitch Trubisky, who stinks. 30-26, the Bears are 3-0. and Somehow. And the Falcons, 0-3, become the first team in NFL history to lose back-to-back games in which it led by 15 or more points in the final quarter. Shook. Dan Quinn oh has had God. 18 lives, 27 lives, 36 lives. He's like worth four cats. Where are we at here? Enough is enough. You know, he showed his frustration in the final moments and they had to call a timeout when he knew the game was out of hand, that it was no longer in reach after Tashawn Gibson's interception. And he just he took his, hel- his headset off and almost threw it down and then stopped himself. But you could just see it, the look in his face. I, he was struggling with the fact that his oh. team can't get a win even with you know a huge lead. And, you know, I was texting my buddy who's a Bears fan for the majority of the second half before the, the actual comeback really started. And I was like, hey, maybe your team's a 2-0 and fraud. You know, they don't look very good today. Mitch didn't look very good before he got pulled. Time for them to finally get a loss. And then you come back, and, of course, they found their way back into the game. So you wonder, is it Nick Foles' heroism, which we've seen plenty of in the past, or is it the Falcons simply not understanding any concept of how to close a football game? Because so far through three weeks, they have no idea how to do it. Hmm. It's a little both. That game-winning touchdown was Foles kind of mad. You know, that was Foles in a nutshell, him getting hit in the arm. It, was, it reminded me of the play he got hurt on last year, and he's watching the game-winning touchdown from his backside. It had a couple other nice throws. Might give them a little more juice. They are the first team to ever come back, the Bears, uh, from a 16-point fourth-quarter deficit twice in a season and win. And they've already done it in week three. Like two ever. different quarterbacks. Two different quarterbacks. It, it's outrageous. But you're right that about the Falcons not closing because you can't put it all on the defense either. The the offense 
didn't score their last six possessions and had a bunch of three and outs. Not to bring it up again, but just like the Super Bowl. And so Matt Ryan is the guy behind center both of those games. There's something wrong with this Falcons team, and it's screaming to, to, to be blown up. Let's face it. Let's just be totally honest. How, how do you, your fan base is dying. You know, there's a difference. I don't know what's worse, like to be a fan like I am of, of the Jets, I think it's a team Falcons. that's hopeless, or a fan of the Falcons where you show that not only can you hang with teams, you could beat up on teams and then completely pee down your own leg during money time. I mean, that, that just can't happen. It can't happen once in a season, let alone twice in three weeks. I don't know what's worse between the two, but I think I would rather, having been a Browns fan, I think I would rather be in the Falcons situation than having no hope at all because, like, Calvin Ridley had a nice day. Todd Gurley looked kind of encouraging at times. They did jump out. They've proven that they can at least play with another team or jump out to a lead. They just can't finish a game. So you go to bed that Sunday night upset that they lost but thinking, oh, if only they could just put four quarters together. Or you just give up. Or you could give up. That's an option. You could turn Enjoy the sport more and not be chained to a miserable experience because the Falcons right now – I think they're number one in my pain rankings because the as twenty eight to three goes further and further. I don't need away, uh, a Patriots fan tough. laying out the pay, pain rankings. I'm right, sorry, they are. They all due you respect. Know, at least the Falcons are vaguely interesting, <laughs> but I would say Dan Quinn was brought in to revolutionize their defense as a defensive, you know, Seahawks ex Seahawks defensive wizard, and their defense has been the issue years in a row. I just, I mean, it, the it, the issue is not Matt Ryan, who's been the best quarterback in that division. It's and the defense. I, I wasn't um, plugged into the beginning of this game. Did Trubisky just get benched because he was playing terribly, or how did that play out? Yeah. He threw a killer pick, didn't he? Yeah, I didn't see any sign of anything on the sideline that they were examining him for any reason. It just looked like he, I mean, he looked bad. He was really being risky early, too, just kind of heaving the ball around the field and uh, was not – they had no momentum with him. And, uh, you know, you get the classic coaching line when they make a, a mid-game quarterback change. Oh, we were just looking for a spark. We are just looking for a spark. Well, they got their spark today. So yeah, it's he, funny. Well, and, that all, and that felt like politics, too. It, it, like, they, you know, there's – all these teams that are stuck trying to, like, hoist up certain quarterbacks to make the front office look good based on bad decisions, past, past decisions. Like, the Trubisky two-game thing, two-plus games thing – was a political maneuver, oh, they, and now they're stuck. The way with to Nick. do it, it's the way to do it. They're three and zero now. Right. Yeah, you set them up. You set them up to then pull well, him. Well, that's fine. I mean, they're not three and zero just because of Trubisky. But no, the, I, you know. my point is, they 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 got their. They, I don't know why they did that, but if you're going to make a change like it that, worked. You, it, you know, you're happy to do it at three and zero with a comeback victory. I mean, he still and looks heartbroken great. on the sideline. I mean, it's, it's like kind of funny how. Fading how predictable it pick. was with Trubisky, though, because right. if we if you would have, I don't know if the desert does these things, Greg would know better than me, but if you would have had to set an over-under for when Nick Foles got into game action, you probably would have set it around like two and a half, <laughs> two and a half games, something like that. And it, right on, right on cue, there he is. All right, let's move on. Sunday night football. Midfield looking for a shot. Rodgers sending it deep downfield. And Lazard brings it in. It's a first round. Take that. Doesn't matter what round I was taking. 48 on the catch for Alan Lazard, the undrafted player. Aaron Rodgers having his way with yet another defense. This time it's the New Orleans Saints. Alan Lazard finished 6 for 146 and a touch. Rodgers 21 of 32, 283, three touchdowns, no interceptions. 125 passer rating, another sterling effort from the future Hall of Famer in a 37 to 30 win at the Superdome. The Packers move to three and zero. The Saints 
fall to one and two, and they have problems. Nick Shook, I'll start with you on this one. A lot of focus has been, and you get it, that's how football works. That's how sports fandom works. A lot of the focus on the Saints has been about Drew Brees. Is he in decline? Is he this? Is he that? Meanwhile, the Saints' defense continues to be a major issue, uh, slowing down opposing offenses, and the penalties continue to pile up. Yeah, and the penalties piled up late in this game with 200 Norris Jenkins that put the Packers on the doorstep of scoring the game, well, the game ceiling touchdown, really. Um, I mean, I guess you can't discredit the Saints for, or not to severely discredit the Saints for not being able to stop an Aaron Rodgers-led offense, but this is a trend. This isn't just a one-week thing, as you said. And and no matter how well Drew Brees plays, they don't have the talent, and especially with Michael, Ta- Michael Thomas out, to really go toe-to-toe with a team that can really play uh, high-level offense if they can't get a stop on defense. So that's definitely concerning for them right now and the reason that, why they lost this game. I watched this with um with our son Luke, who's a Saints fan as of about a season ago. Wait, and what? when yeah, he yeah, he's that's the team he's chosen. And um huh. he was very upset um to see Janoris Jenkins get flagged like eighty-seven times for pass interference. <laughs> and at one point he said, Him again, he's innocent. This was his quote. Him again, he's innocent. He's probably so stressed. Well, I said he's not innocent. <laughs> he was clearly guilty of some of those infractions. Change the game. You you, you watch your boy, Aaron Rodgers, Dan. Uh, I know, you know, some things in this season not going your way 100%, uh, but that all-pro pick you have for Aaron Rodgers is looking freaking uh, amazing. And you watch yeah. him, and you just think he's having so much fun. And I, I think about when Jay Sternberger caught a pass in the fourth quarter, and he immediately starts having fun with him because Sternberger had a couple big drops last week, and that was his first career catch. And then he keeps going back to him. Uh, early in the game, he's like wiping down Lazard's uh, face after that amazing catch Lazard had, which was an even better throw from Rodgers. I mean, just feeling himself moving to his left and like dropping it in the bucket from 55 yards away. It's just, it's fun to watch. I mean, he is, to me, him and Russell Wilson, they, they would be the best two right now that, two, three weeks that easy flick from rogers mm. which you saw uh on that touchdown that's probably my favorite throw in nfl history i'm not old enough uh to take in peak namath when he had an amazing fall through and he would zip the ball like nobody else uh but aaron Rodgers, the way he can just on the move square shoulders and then just flick it and then it's just perfectly precise uh, hits a target. I mean, the the man, when he is right, is just so fun to watch. And Alvin Kamara from the running back position is is like Rodgers in that way. Like when Kamara's right, and he was in this game uh, when he had just six carries but uh, for 58 yards. And then as a receiver, stepping up with Michael Thomas out of the mix, 13 catches, 139 yards, two touchdowns, including that insane 52-yard uh, catch and run where he got some help from, I believe, his center who was motoring up the field. That was uh, it was special. It was kind of a fun game to watch, not just because it was competitive, but to see Rodgers at his peak right now, to see Kamara healthy. These are some of the best players in the world at their peak. Yeah, you know, the funny thing is the similarity between both of them, while they're very different players, the one thing I keep going back to with them is how light they are on their feet. I mean, Rodgers just bounces around throughout the pocket, floating left to right before flicking it, like you said, and then Kamara, of course, regaining his balance on that long run. And I like Greg's tweet about it, which is the Saints' entire offense is basically built around Kamara breaking tackles, which 
he obviously showed he's very good at. It's not really a reliable strategy, of course, and that was kind of what they leaned on tonight with him leading them and receiving and everything else, but it's still fun to watch. Yeah, I mean, Dan's favorite stat, uh, average depth of target, a dot. I mean, it had its <laughs> night tonight. It was an A dot night. All they did was talk about A dot, I feel like, the whole time. And it's because Breeze is, you know, he they made the point Breeze is always at the bottom of the league in that category. So maybe this isn't that big a deal. But now he's at the bottom of the league by like a long shot. And this this offense, it's been fine the last two weeks. It's taken a little attention away from their defense being even worse. I think Jeff Duncan pointed out they've they've forced one punt in their last 17 drives. So it was really the defense that, to me, deserves the L more than anything today than than the Saints. Um, but it's also not quite the Saints' offense. I, even even putting Michael Thomas back there, I don't know. Well, let's talk about the Taysom Hill play. That really was the the shifting play in the game. Rodgers is not attacking downfield. His average air yards per attempt, I believe, is sub five in this game. Maybe even closer to four. And they bring Hill out uh, near midfield. He fumbles Zadarius Smith with the force fumble. Hill has not had the same success in this offense as last year. I wonder how much of that has to do with Drew Brees and um, how the offense is so one-dimensional right now that you bring Taysom Hill out there and there's just no fear uh, in the defense that there's going to be a big play. Mm -hmm. Uh, It certainly hasn't happened yet. It's a small sample size at this point, but you're right that like the Breeze Taysom Hill combination is less effective. I mean, I, the only thing is, if I were to wake up tomorrow and if people still read newspapers and I were to look at the Breeze box score, any other person would be happy if their quarterback had that box score. It's just that what we're seeing with Breeze is a little bit different. I still think that he's reading the field as well as anyone and made a couple really smart throws um, in that situation. But Hill is on the Hill is in there for that play because. They have comprehensive trust in him to not turn the ball over, first of all. So for that to happen, I mean, everything went completely sideways from there. I mean, well, 30 he, points he, wasn't even on the field. The Saints had 30 points though, at the end of the day. Even that was a killer turnover. It really uh, it doomed them in some ways. But uh, that to me, to go back to how I set it up with you, Shook, this game is on the defense and a defense that a lot of people saw as one of the best in the league, potentially entering the season. And they just got to be a lot better. And I'll, I'll, I'll add one more point and it connects to the defense. Not all home field advantages are created equal, but that was a big deal. And Chris Collinsworth mentioned it during the telecast uh, that nobody in that stadium at the Superdome made life a lot easier for Aaron Rodgers. And company, and you just wonder if Aaron Rodgers is as comfortable. He just was casually dissecting this defense. If there's not seventy five thousand screaming uh, Louisianans down there uh, tonight, but that's that's twenty twenty football. And you know, I wonder uh, like what kind of effect that's had on other environments in the league. But that environment, especially because of the way that the stadium's built, you're indoors, sound reverberates. They're they're famous for being very loud. We've seen this across sports in, in the time that we're playing these sports in right now. I mean, even the NBA, like you got the Lakers and the Heats and Heat in the finals and you wouldn't expect one of those teams to be making it. So, and it's because they're playing in a bubble. So you get kind of a similar situation in some of these stadiums mm. where there's no fans. You don't have that effect. And Rogers, like you said, toyed with them multiple times tonight with those hard counts that they would never implement uh, in, in one of those environments when they typically be going with a snap count. And that kind of changed the game because they got a free play there. Uh, and, and threw up the pass, ended up in, in, in the pass interference to set him up on the goal line. But again, you're right. That defense has not stood up and, and done its job. Last week, it was 
Malcolm Jenkins getting victimized by Darren Waller or most of the defense getting victimized by Darren Waller this week when they had a chance to get a stop, get the ball back for their offense down three. They couldn't do anything even close to that. And they did it without Devontae Adams. To me, that makes this all the more meaningful. I mean, their Mm. offense is just in such a different space um, than they were a year ago at this time when they were trying to figure figure each other out. You know, Collinsworth made the point – a lot of times it's really Rodgers calling the play. I mean, he has like a menu of a million different options that Lafleur's setting up. They're in such amazing sync right now. I mean, to do it without Adams where they're three tight ends, Tanyan, Tanyan Sternberger, and uh, Lewis were like their third, you know, second, third, and fourth leading receivers. I mean, that that's amazing. And the, Saint, the Saints missed uh, Jadevian Clowney tonight. I keep, keep bringing it up, but... Uh, like Marcus Davenport is a whipping boy for Saints Twitter. That you know, two firsts. They, they were missing two firsts again. He he uh he missed his third straight game. They had zero pass rush. So Rodgers does have weapons. It's it's that offensive line. It's Aaron Jones. That that's all he needs right now. I mean, and Matty Lafleur, the little man. Right. We're all exactly uh, Matt LaFleur, like, we, Right. We're only like eight <laughs> nine months away. Uh, you know, out from. Dan's dad delivering the little boy with a beard comment about Matt LaFleur that we all chuckled at and believed in because it made so much sense. He seemed like a small young man (laughs) attempting to lead a football team into battle. But now I think Matt LaFleur is one of the stories of this game that he has become a dude. And I was killing their record last year. He inherited Aaron Rodgers. That was a good job by him. Well, that's, you know, that's fine. But I mean, Matt LaFleur, though, is adding value. And he just just took down Sean Payton. And Greg, I want to find out at some point, I'm going to go through the accounting. What kind of profits are you making off of Saints Twitter? You mention it at least three (laughs) times a week in various platforms. We get it. I love it. it. You and Saints Twitter. I don't know. No one watched it on the network. You know, if people didn't see it on the network, you got to get the two first. I like I like that as a like a running thing. The the Packers went 14 and four in the bearded boys first year. They're now three and oh, that's 17 and four did the math and they have more points through their first three games this season than they've ever had in franchise history. And there's been some great offenses in the history of the bearded boy. I think that was more a general uh, commentary. My dad made on the youthful appearance of LaFleur. I don't think he was commenting on him as a coach, but I'll have to double check with Keith on that, but let's, let's stay focused here because there is a developing news story uh, before we say goodbye. And I've been making a lot of phone calls and shooting a lot of texts, uh, just trying to reach out to my stores and see who could figure out where was Al tonight. Al Michaels not in the booth. You know, last week it was Justin Herbert shows up for a snap one for the Chargers, catching everybody off off guard. Today, it's Al Michaels replaced by Mike Tirico along with Chris Collinsworth in the booth. Do we have any info on where Al was tonight? Ricky? Yeah, um, it was decided before the season that he was, NBC said that Michaels would miss a few weeks this season where Tarico would sub in for him as described mm-hmm. as bye weeks to limit travel. And apparently Al Michaels is, this is a great schedule for me and I'm all in. I have a source uh, that works high up, is a major player in the broadcasting game, makes huge money, success, uh, who feels that this could be a reaction to a potential Al Michaels pay cut behind the scenes. And he made the decision. I'm not calling every game. If you're not going to give me the money I need, 
Now, this is, again, conjecture. We're still early in the process. Why isn't Al doing a full slate of Sunday night football? Maybe bye week. You know, he's up there years. Uh, it's a pandemic. Uh, there's all sorts of reasons why. Tariko's making sense. a lot of money. Tariko, you yeah. got to earn that. I mean, yeah, Tariko's, hired- right. Talk about Tariko's basically your Taysom Hill that they have to find out. Right. You know, let's well, get this guy into the lineup. Wouldn't, here. wouldn't have had a holding penalty and a fumble, you know. Like Dan's like, Tariko's not Taysom Tariko. Hill. Taysom Hill He's is not. not a real human being. Thank you yeah. for saying that so I didn't have to jump in. Mike Tariko is Steve Young and Al Michaels is Joe Montana. That's where we're at. It's Taysom Hill stuff. I, well, no, here's what I would say, though. That whole, this whole idea of, you know, media people getting a bye week during the football season. I'll come back to it. It just <laughs> makes a lot of sense. You know, we didn't – what did we get about four days off this entire off season? Like, you know, suddenly Sessler has week seven off to just completely vanish. And that means all shows for the entire Everything. week. It just makes a, a lot of sense. Should we get involved in that? You know. All right. <laughs> hey, so we'll continue to track this. <laughs> Where's Al? All right. What a song. Good stuff. <clears throat> um, all right. So, Nick Shook, you said it all. Thank you so much. Uh, we love this new tradition. And also, notice uh, Shook behind him has the NFL helmet that they give you when you leave the company, and then you sign it, and you say, oh, Shook, it's been so great. Best of luck in your journey. Covered. And then Shook goes to the Browns for about seven days and then comes back to the NFL. So he got the signed helmet and he got to come back to the NFL. So Shook, we're really gaming the system in a big spot. You know, it's my third stint. So I figure, you know, five or 10 years, maybe we'll be up to number five. Yeah, I don't know. (laughs) How many helmets? I think you got the. You also got the real life Browns experience, which is go in thinking that you're going to be there for 20 to 30 years and you're there for 20 (laughs) to 30 hours and that's <laughs> that's probably about as long as it goes yeah, I mean, the, big, I, the big joke on twitter when i left was oh you got off just as the ship was sinking when really it was a completely different uh, <laughs> set of circumstances but we'll let the public believe that speaking sure. of yeah speaking of deep dives the old zeuser has another expose in the can i just have to get a few more quotes and a couple more sources what happened to nick shook and the cleveland browns it's a secret that or a story that has not been told yet but we hope to get it down the line Another helmet I have here, if I can reach for it, is from the the vaunted, the venerated, the venerated desk of Mark Sessler. Hang on. <laughs> can only wonder what this will. It be. is Mark Sessler's old Browns helmet before oh, they there changed you go. their helmet. Did you steal that from Mark because you're so much larger than him physically, or did he give it to you? <laughs> he gave this to me after I left the first. I gave time. it to him because he's so much larger. The than first time you're the time. you're the Billy Martin uh, Billy Martin of NFL media right now. <laughs> Um, all right, good stuff. Uh, thank you, Shook. Um, and oh, it's getting grosser. We'll be back on Tuesday, uh, with the podcast, and uh, the, the wheel continues to go around and around and around. This is Dan Hansis signing off for uh, Nick Shook. Get shook with Nick Shook, the old boss, Quiet Storm, and of course, the mailman and Ricky Hollywood. Until Tuesday.
you go into your shower feeling tired. But as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day. And smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. I'm late. I'm late for a very important date. Time is running out to score adult theme park tickets at child prices from Undercover Tourist. This summer, make your Walt Disney World vacation more affordable than ever. Escape into a place where magic has the power to transport you into stunning worlds and your favorite stories for less. Buy from Undercover Tourist, an authorized seller, and link to official Walt Disney World apps so you can add on Genie Plus and Lightning Lane upgrades easy. Book your adult theme park tickets at child prices with Undercover Tourist now and save. UndercoverTourist.com Welcome to AutoZone. What are you working on today? I got to change the oil in my car. Right now, get five quarts of Pennzoil Platinum Full Synthetic with an STP Extended Life Oil Filter for only $36.99. What do I do with my old oil? We can recycle your used oil for free. And do you have oil for my old work truck? You can find the right high mileage oil to help it go farther right here at AutoZone. Get in zone, AutoZone. Restrictions apply.